0: You're listening to Music Ed. I'm Samson Trin. In this episode of Music Ed, part four will conclude my final graduate studies project titled The Educational Processes of Independent Authors in Elementary General Music Education. The topic proposal for the research was to conduct interviews with music educators and authors who have written, arranged music, performed, recorded, published, shared, and sold elementary general music resources to teachers in the educational marketplace. I am so excited Absolutely excited to present today's guest, John Jacobson. That's right, John Jacobson. I honestly thought it was a long shot that he would say yes to be interviewed because this is a starter podcast. And I've got to thank Dr. David Greenogle from Virginia Commonwealth University's Music Education Department for planting the seed to develop a podcast. It's a lot of fun. Um, it's a lot of work. I dig the conversations, and it pushes my brain to learn new skills. John Jacobson is a music educator, choreographer, and author who is internationally recognized for his large-scale music and choreography productions. His outstanding body of work includes producing hundreds of shows in association with Walt Disney Productions, directing choreography for presidential inaugurations, and producing massive song and dance numbers for events such as NBC's Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. He founded the Classroom Standard, John Jacobson's Music Express magazine, which has reached nearly 4 million children worldwide. This interview was conducted on July twenty-second, 2020.
1: Enjoy! It's a thank you song! Thumbs to yourself! One clap, burst. Fist to your hips. Sway snap, nice and easy. Wipe like safe. Point to the right. Both hands to your heart. Sway snap. Reach out. Scoop up. Step clap. Wag your right finger. And point. Step clap again. Thumbs to yourself. Point to the audience. Step clap. Swipe like safe, have fun. Cabbage patch. Wave your jazz hands. Lower your hands. Point from high to low. Step clap. Now, basketball step touches, nice and easy.
0: I like to take it back and begin with, um, uh, because I just know of John Jacobson, the, uh, you know, the music education guru. I just wanted to, uh, nerd out on who were your early musical influences. This can be artists and, uh, music, edu- music educators that
1: changed your life. Well, that's a great question, and, and whenever they start calling you a guru, it means you're getting old. So <laughs> I know how that goes. But anyway, I, I have been doing it a long time, and um, but my early training was really as a song and dance guy, and uh, but um, so you know, I spent my from 16 years old on. I've made my living as a song and dance guy in Disney World and different places like that. And uh, but I came from a huge family of educators. My father was the superintendent of schools. My mother was a fifth grade teacher. I have nine brothers and sisters. They uh, all became teachers. They all married teachers. I have 24 nieces and nephews who are all teachers. And now, 26 great nieces and nephews, and I'm sure some of them will be teachers too. And not more than a handful of them are mu- actually music teachers as well. So, it, it and I had my father was also one of 10 children, and four of his sisters were also music teachers. So, it's been a part of my family and my upbringing and, um, for my entire life. But when I was about 15 or 16 years old, I got involved uh, in um, the song and dance world. And so, I grew up in Wisconsin, and we had a group there called the Kids from Wisconsin. And I auditioned for it in high school, and you'd get together in the summer, and you'd sort of an all-state show choir kind of thing with a big band and uh, all. It was wonderful. And I would say that those were some of my earliest really professional teachers. Now, I had great elementary school teachers and great in public school in Wisconsin, and my father, the superintendent, insisted on good public music teachers. And so I had really good ones all the way through. Linda Rosso, uh, Shirley Radke, um, Phyllis Tomty. These were my early mentors as as a child. But when I went off to be a kid from Wisconsin, it was brought to a whole nother level. A guy named Kurt Schalgren, for instance, who was a fabulous choral director from uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin, who directed this group um, vocally. And also a wonderful choreographer, Tom Terrian, who was my first real choreographer, the first guy who I really looked to as somebody who, who, he staged the show. And I worked with him year-round for about five years, all through college and and beyond. And what was great about these guys is that not only were they great musicians and great artists and very creative artists, but they were also incredible teachers. They knew how, it's one thing to come up with a great idea, but it's another thing to be able to get that idea onto somebody else's body or out, out of somebody else's voice. And so I was very fortunate to work with some good creative people who were also good educators. Then when I, when I went away to college and got my degree at, at University of Wisconsin Madison, I got my degree in music education. Had Eunice Boardman was my mentor there who was a, the music education person. Um, I had one of, the, one of the most influential people in my entire life was uh, the lady who was my um, supervising teacher when I did my student teaching, a woman by the name of Jan Swenson in Barneveld, Wisconsin, who changed my life dramatically. Um, because of, of her passion for teaching and her passion for music education in general. But in the summers, I was always going off to Disney World and singing and dancing. That was how I met, kind of earned my way through college. And again, I was there. When I got there, I was lucky to work with people like Forrest Garuth and Larry Billman and, and Steve Scoria and Gary Pabin and Mar- um, Barnett Ritchie, who were again really creative people, but also great teachers. So I think my sort of my own style came out of working with these people who I admired and learned so much from, and your own style becomes sort of an amalgamation of what you learned from all these different people that you pass along uh, on the way. So I spent you know about a decade working for Disney, both in Florida and in um, oh in Japan for a year at Tokyo Disneyland, and you know we do my my sort of. Um, expertise became sort of extravaganzas like the bigger, the better with hundreds of dancers, you know, half times of football games or, you know, the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade or, you know, big Wahoo shows like that where, you know, I, and I always tell people it's so much easier to choreograph something when there's a lot of people than if there's just a few. You got a choir of 10 people and they do this. It doesn't look like much. But if 500 people go like that, it looks like a lot happened. And that became sort of my expertise learning <laughs> from these Folks at Disney. So I left Disney after a while and um, really wanted to put together a career that kind of took both my experience in music, ed- in my background in music education and my college degree in music education, and my professional performing experience, and put those two together and come up with some sort of a career. And so my first job after I left Disney was to work with Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians at a summer music camp that they used to hold you wouldn't you was way before your time Samson but in at Penn State University they would have like summer long seminars for music teachers to come to and people like myself would teach them workshops on um choreography on singing on whatever it might what the topic would be and so I went there I met maybe a couple hundred teachers that very first summer taught some workshops in choreography, and out of that came this career. These teachers would then hire me to come to their schools all over the United States to work with their kids. They wanted their kids to have the experience that they had at this workshop in at Penn State University. So pretty soon, I'm just on the road constantly going to every school in Berg in America, to, um, and sleeping on music teachers' couches and teaching their kids during the day, and um, really, some all of a sudden have this career that was right back in music education.
0: So, when you were in the trenches, it was through these um, workshops and um, and. Uh, so, I was going to ask you after, um, after I kind of go on your, too long, don't your, I? Your, your, your study. <laughs> I was going to ask you after your studies. Uh, did, did you teach music full time since you were a music educator to like general music pre K through fifth or middle or high school choir since your your um, material covers all three divisions in a way and that's pretty amazing because I'm because as I was searching through your uh, biography I was like I wonder if he act, was actually a full time music teacher or what you said um, you know you were um, a guest. Um, Uh, clinician or, or, or a choreographer, choreographer. So,
1: right. Yeah. Well, that's a good question. I never took a teaching job. I did my student teaching and in my student teaching, I taught K through 12 vocal music and K through six instrumental music. I mean, that's kind of what you did. So there are some of the worst saxophone players in the world in Barneveld, Wisconsin, because of me. And was that your main instrument? No, no, I was a vocal, I was a vocal music major, but I had to, you know, when you got all this, you had to teach everything. It was this little town. You had one music teacher who taught everything. And so that's the experience that I got too. And so I, you know, it's stay one step ahead of the students (laughs) and some of those instruments. And, uh, but no, I, um, I didn't take a teaching job, um, because the day after graduation, I moved to Florida and started, I already had a, a job lined up at Disney world. Upon graduation. So that was about as far as I had planned. And I loved my student teaching, but um, I had this opportunity to go and be in professional showbiz. And so at 22 years old, I decided to do that. Years later, maybe seven or eight years later, I did go back to school. And I went and got a, another degree, a master's degree in literature from Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. And that really was um, a result of just, you know, we music majors. You have to take so many one credit classes that meet five days a week that you very rarely get to take some of the courses that you were just interested in. And so my degree, my secondary degree was in actually in uh, English, American literature and because I wanted to read the books that I never had time to read when I was an undergrad. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up with this with this literature degree. And, and, I, and that um, I discovered in myself a love of writing as well, a writing lyrics and writing script and writing a text, writing books, reading and writing books. I mean, I just I really loved the whole creative process of that. So that, again, became a sort of another element um, so that when a publisher came to me, actually, originally and asked, had seen me do a workshop and asked me to write a book about um, show choir and about singing and dancing in, in, in amateur groups. And so I wrote a book for Jensen Publications at that time called um, Putting on the Glitz. And it was really <laughs> just, I, and I loved the process because I was able to sort of write Kind of something that I knew about, or at least I had some experience in, and that got me into the publishing world and um, I still was mostly going out and working in schools and but most most people were not knocking my door down to be a choral clinician. they were knocking my door down to come and help them stage shows and and stage their musical or because that's not an experience that most teachers at that time had much experience in music teachers. All of a sudden they got their first job and somebody said, oh yeah, and you mm-hmm. have to have a show choir or you have to stage the musical and they had no idea. So a lot of my, most of my um, experience early on was as a choreographer. As things went well with the publishing, you know, as long as like one project went well, then the publisher would ask you, well, what would you think about doing this? And, you know, at that time, we had this wonderful artist named Ed Lejewski, uh, uh, an arranger and a composer. And they said, you know, Ed is writing a a Christmas review. John, why don't you take it and put a script to it and add some choreography notes to it? And, you know, and so that was a way of me then kind of collaborating with somebody. And to be honest with you, Samson, from from my entire career really has been sort of the definition of collaboration. I can't do anything by myself, <laughs> including hooking up all this tech equipment. I, I don't want to necessarily do anything by myself. I mean, almost everything I do, as a, the only thing that w- would be different would be, say, like, if I wrote a book or, like, here's a book I wrote called The Artist Within Me. That yeah. you have to pretty much do all by yourself. You sit there and plunk it out. But most of my projects have been working with people that are my best friends and people that I admire so much as artists and educators. And so um this morning I was working with Roger Emerson on a project and Mac Huff and I went to college together so we've been friends since I were 18 years old and have continued to work together and write musicals or songs um and then uh, as long as that worked out okay I I would often get approached by other artists or arrangers who wanted to collaborate and most of the time my job was lyrics um and off, I mean, I can play a little piano, and I can make up a, melodies in a little bit, but they do that part so much better than me that I just feed... If I feed them an idea and maybe the lyrics, then I I expect my really great composer-arranger friends to sort of take it from there and make it wonderful, and then I just take all the credit. I mean, that's the way collaboration works, right? Yeah. So I'm sort of joking, have, but... Gordon, go yeah, ahead.
0: I was going to say, you have this... Um... Uh, amazing. Uh, uh, well, you you wear so many hats. As far as I'm sure, as far as like a choreographer, like I'm, I'm assuming someone like Hermes Pan or Fred Astaire was a huge influence. And uh, in in the role of a, a lyric a lyricist, um, you, you have this whole um, um, Ira Gershwin quality about you. But I was going to ask you, like, um, when. Um, what what does your composition and arranging process entail in terms of software programs used to notate music and your long-term collaborations with uh, Roger Emerson, John Higgins, Matt Cuff, Rollo Dilworth, and I know there's a whole mm-hmm. list like Alan um, um, Billingsley. I mean, so yeah, would y'all way. just sit next to each other, and are they usually the melodic people, or, or, or do you? Um, And also, is it what comes first, the melody, lyrics or the dance choreography when you or or the story when you write your musicals? I mean, what what's
1: it's a great question. And and to tell you the truth um, with us and, and I am so lucky to get to work with all those those men and women that you've just mentioned. I mean, every one of them is just top of their game. And I will tell you that every experience is is different. Roger Emerson lives just 10 miles from me. So we get together in his studio or my studio and we sit across from each other and throw crazy ideas around and then go to lunch. You know, we really are in the same room, especially when uh, something is just germinating. You know, now most of the other guys that and and ladies that I work with, um, they don't live close to me. Uh, So John Higgins, for instance, he lives in um, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And so... He most of ours is a back and forth, on, and, and we all use Finale as our, our, although some of that's changing now, but traditionally we have all used Finale. It's interesting that Hal Leonard, most of the instrumental people use Sibelius, but now mm-hmm. they bought a company named NoteFlight, and so a lot of, they're doing a lot of things on NoteFlight as well. With, uh, but I will John, tell you that John Melanzi. Yeah, yeah, John we,
0: we actually went to uh, VCU together and knew each other in high school, played in the same oh, really? jazz ensemble. So it's really been, we're certainly proud of him as far as like the rise yeah. of where he's at right now. But yeah, I, they, they all use Note Flight. Interesting.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they, Leonard, that they did. So they, but most of us, most of us still use Finale. And that's what we and so we share files back and forth. Now, like John Higgins and I, we kind of got to be known for doing these young kids' musicals, K K four K five musicals. Even though he's he can orchestrate movies or whatever, he's genius. But that kind of became our niche together. And he was really instrumental in over um, overlooking or overseeing the music of Music Express. Our, mag- our publication that we did for 19 years. And John was the one who, and in the end, we would always want John to look at it and go, okay, you know, if you did this, it would make this better. Or, you know, and also sort of see through the recordings because he just has such a great ear and, and stuff. So, so that was it. Um, Mac Huff, and, you know, we don't live in the same town either. And it's a totally different experience working with Mac Huff. I'm, I'm sorry I'm telling stories out of school, but Roger and I can kind of slap down a show in a day or two. I mean, get it so that it's pretty flushed out and we're ready to go. And then then I take it and I work on it for a while. And then he takes it and he works it for a while. With Mac, he's got about 9,000 ideas for every one of any other human being on the planet. So the big challenge with him is like, mm. yeah but we got to decide on one, you know? And and it's <laughs> wonderful because it, because he has 9,000 good ideas and he's such a great musician. And so it's that's, a different That's the orchestrator in him, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure it is too. And he just has a mind. He's just, yeah. he's, You know, I know a few geniuses in my life. He's one of them. One that is just, the brain is just so full of, you know, Kirby Shaw would be another one like that. That just oh, yeah. is so i um, still still doing it at the top of his game after decades and decades. And, and I just find that really, really amazing. And, and so, I don't, you know,
0: I don't mean this as like an, an, an elder type of thing, but I, I really consider y'all like Kirby Shaw, Roger, yourself as like the Mount Rushmore of like music <laughs> education publications. Because you see your names throughout. I mean, And all these, you know, J.W. Peppers and all, I was like, wow, I mean, that's a large collection. But uh, I I was going to get into, um, so during my first year of teaching elementary school music in 2008, uh, this this was the first resource that was in my classroom, which was left from my last music teacher. I'll just share that real quick. And this was like the first time I saw your face <laughs> but um so it was this hop t- till you drop <laughs> and then next to it was um the rock and roll forever yeah. music ka and I, I will have uh, i have to say that um i was immediately drawn to this one because it had your arrangement if i want to hold your hand and i love the beatles I'm obsessed with the beatles and uh <laughs> and um i was gonna say uh i, I I've always been fascinated by your process to juggle so many roles with your projects because I can't imagine you getting any sleep with the hundreds of resources that you've produced. Uh, here's a series of questions that have been floating around for 12 years (laughs) in my brain. So one, um, how did your professional relationship with
1: Hal Leonard, um, begin? Well, um, as I told you before, I, one summer, I got asked by three different publishing companies to write something for them. At Jensen Publications, they wanted to have a, that Putting on the Glitz book. At Shawnee Press, which was the um, publishing company of Fred Waring and the Pennsylvanians, they wanted me to do choreography videos. And at Hal Leonard, they wanted me to do a workout and warm-up album for singers, an, like an exercise album to get singers warmed up. So I was doing three projects at the same time. Well, here's what has happened over the history of time: is that Hal Leonard now owns Shawnee Press, Jensen, and Hal Leonard. It all oh, they're came like together the Disney of kind of music. kind of our Don't tell the antitrust <laughs> yeah. companies about it. But um, and they're and they've been spectacular, and it's been a great home for me. And one of two. One of the things I loved about working at Disney was that they at the time at the, that time in the company. They really encouraged you to learn about a lot of different things. If you wanted to learn about recording or about making movies or about um, choreographers, they encouraged you to hunt through the company and find these different places and learn from it while you were working there. Wow. And th- that so that was a great education because i got a lot of training in a lot of different areas then when i went to hal leonard it's sort of a similar experience in that yes they do kind of everything especially in music education and beyond music education and so yeah they said some one day sally russell who was a great who was in head of choral music there for a while in music education said you know why don't you write a musical a little kid's musical you know and i'm like sounds fun. So (laughs) I did. And I think maybe the first one I did with John Higgins was, um, one called, how does your garden grow? And Mm -hmm. that still is one of the ones I get more comments from people than any other probably was how does your garden grow? And that's quite a few years ago. And then it just got to be, well, if that went okay, why don't you do one for a little bit older kids? And then why don't you do one for, you know, and then at the time for a while, there was a very popular thing to do these sort of medleys of, um, You know, medleys of 60s songs or medleys Mm -hmm. of anything. Mm -hmm. And then Hal Leonard would ask me to often do choreography notes for them. Or maybe if they needed a script, like maybe Mark Brimer's doing a show about a patriotic show. And I would help him maybe do the script or the the pacing or something like that. So, you know, it just whatever. There were these projects around and they would often ask me to get involved in it if they thought I could do better. That Hop To You Drop video or thing that you have, that collection Hop To You Drop, That came out of my own personal passion about kids' fitness. I mean, we are in a country in America that, you know, a huge percentage of children are obese. And not just children, but I feel like you can still help if you get to them early enough. Sometimes Mm -hmm. we adults, it's it's maybe too late or something, or it feels too late. And so I wanted to do some things that were music, yeah, singing and dancing, make fitness fun. And that's what the Hop To Your Drop series was. And we did... We did Conga in the Kitchen was another collection. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we did Holiday Hop To You Drop, you know. Plus, then I, get to, I got to write little little kids' songs. And we all have a lot, of, a lot of, I think a lot of these composers and arrangers have a lot of little kids' songs in us, and I got to write them because of that Hop To You Drop series. Then, so, you know, I did that for a so, while. So go ahead. I, I was going to say that the
0: uh, persona of being a... Um uh, in a way, an exercise training type of, um, personality that, that, was that requested from Howland or was that always in you, um, to, um, you know, when you, uh, teach choreography in the videos, I mean, was that kind of like, I guess it's kind of like when Charlie Chaplin figured out, oh, here's, here's my cane mustache. Here's my, (laughs) here's my shining armor. I'm, I'm curious how that came about
1: well you know i have always um, i'm i i i'm i'm physical i like i like being physically active i would have a hard time sitting at a desk all the time i mean i just like being active and and i i just had i had more success i would say as a dancer and a choreographer it just came so easy to me and so natural um to me that part of it I didn't have training since I was five years old, you know, dance classes. But when I did start at 14 or 15, it came quite easy. And I think it was because I was involved in high school sports and athletics and you sort of had a sense of how your body moved and all that. And I just loved it so much that I, it never felt like work. And so the the two singing, and of course I love to sing, but the singing and the movement really worked for me. And um, And then yeah. when I discovered that when I discovered how much work it was to dance a 25 minute show in the 105 degree heat in Florida in July. And I realized that I can eat as much as I want. If I do five shows a day here, you know, I realized that this, this singing and dancing thing is a pretty good way to, um, to stay physically fit and Mm -hmm. have a blast doing it. And so, you know, I really, I, I, it worked for me and, um, and it has for all these years, you know, I'm sure I'll just one day just explode. But, um, so far it's keeping me going.
0: Amazing. And what? so what's the rough estimate as to how many people, um, as far as how many who helped run music express and was it a challenge to be the head chef to such a huge operation? Cause once you open up the
1: credits, it's, it's a list. And I mean, well, I, mm-hmm. <laughs> Once again, I take, I take the credit for a lot of people's hard work. Um, somebody had to, I guess they felt like somebody had to be the, um, the face of Music Express. Mm-hmm. And, and I, hope, um, I hope the spirit of Music Express. Um, it was really Emily Crocker, who was the head of choral publications and music education at Hal Leonard at the time, And her colleague, Herman Knoll, who was a vice president there, it was the two of them that came up with the idea, really, of Music Express and approached me as being to be the the face of Music Express. And at the time, our conversations were about, you know, yeah, I'm interested because I, I think music education is so important and I am very interested in anything I can do to promote that. But from the very get go, I just I really wanted Music Express to be also about teaching character and about teaching and, and using music to make beautiful children. And I think so So much of whenever we would have our meetings, every year we'd have a big meeting for a few days to sort of plan the year. It was always about what are our, what are our themes to help make this a more beautiful world, because and, through children. And I, I do believe that that's a responsibility that music teachers have to take on, whether we like it or not. And that's to remind the world that it's still a beautiful place. And what could be mm-hmm. more, what could do that more effectively than the sound of children singing or the sound of children playing? Yeah. And I, I wanted that to be the driving force to, behind Music Express, no matter what else went in there pedagogically or any, in any other way. I wanted it to be about helping these children grow up in this world and, and be beautiful and, and recognize beauty and recognize excellence. And I think we did that unfortunately music express is now history we have we are not doing music express post.
0: i did see i was yeah. gonna get into some questions down the line and, and um, hopefully okay, you can, these yeah. questions
1: hopefully these questions are okay in regards nothing to no problem music. you can ask me okay. anything i'll awesome. just make it up if i don't okay. <laughs> no, no you can um, ask me speak- anything there are no secrets <laughs>
0: okay so speaking of children um uh, this any any publication, whether it's a Hal Leonard or a Music K eight magazine, or you know, I'm just curious, what's the process of process of hiring talented children who can produce that pop quality in their voices, and how long does it take to teach them the songs
1: before they record it? Because it, you well, know, I'm, yeah these are we hire professional children gotcha that you know we we do most we have traditionally done most of our recording in los angeles which is just full of wannabes i didn't know, know who, they were out in milwaukee because i yeah, thought you know well, i was like man milwaukee must produce so much out there because that's where Howard it is but <laughs> yeah we have done some there and mm-hmm. we do a lot now in nashville and okay. I'll, I'll credit another for andy waterman Okay. Is our producer of most of the has been throughout the entire history of Music Express. He's recorded pretty much every note that has ever been in Music Express, or and every note of almost every musical I've ever written is Andy Waterman. He's a stinking genius. <laughs> and but he's got the process down. And what he does is he he finds um like a, a voice teacher or somebody in the area who works with kids who are, who take voice lessons and learn how to sight read. And we treat them very much like professionals. Now they're still kids, but they come in some, some usually we get them the music a little bit in advance and they have to, they kind of figure it out on their own. Mm. Sometimes we get tracks to them or vocal line, but that usually that voice teacher, music Mm. teacher works with those kids a little bit before they come in the studio, because when they get in the studio, we got to, click, click it along and get it done. And so we got, yeah, time is money. And we got, we got adults in the room that are doing their jobs. And so, you know, so that, that's the case on, on the recordings. And, and and I, but I give Andy all the credit in the world for being able to do it and, and the kids love him and they love doing it. And, um, so it's pretty fast and furious. But most of these kids, a lot of them, have kind of paid their way through college by doing this. <laughs> oh wow! Because <laughs> we do it, pay them. We have, we have, we pay them. They're not, you know, it's not. Um, is it child roughly labor so.
0: six to twelve kids or twenty kids who record
1: in one session in that yeah. one yeah. room to produce? No, 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 no. Yeah. It's yeah. Let's say, I would say an average of about eight. Okay. Sometimes maybe ten or twelve, and we, you know, the little ones, they might get tired. We can give them a yeah. break, and they don't have to sing on this one. Go take a break or something. And then, even with our um, the videos that we do, are the same thing. This is amazing. Those videos, um, the Music Express, we go in there. The kids have never heard the music. They've never heard the, um, never learned the dances. I teach them the dance in about ten minutes, and then we record it. I was going to ask about do that. The yeah. next, <laughs> and then we do the next one because one part of it was I didn't care if it's perfect. I, I want kids to be watching real kids. And sometimes I go left and they go mm-hmm. right. And if it's a complete disaster, we'll do it over. But um, for the most part, I, I'm fine with them just getting the feeling of it. And there's going to be some kid out in the classroom someplace who identifies with one of those up there. And so we don't worry about it too much. And the trouble is with them, we just get them trained, you know, and they're really good. And then they grow like two feet in one summer. I always tell the good kids, yeah. no growing. You are not allowed to grow. <laughs> it doesn't work, <laughs> but they're, yeah, great. Was, they're
0: great. I was curious about that uh, with their voices. If you had to rehire, of course, rehire oh, yeah. children
1: and also a different um, children to dance as well. And um, sometimes yeah. uh, in, vocally, we will have an adult in the um, in the recording studio with the kids helping, you know, direct it for one thing, the closer you are, the more you can direct it. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think on occasion, Andy will even have a, you know, adult voice singing, but then, and so that the kids have sort of a lead. And then they can, after they've recorded it, then they can sort of pull the adult voice out. And they, once they've got it down and it's in tune and all of that. So there's tricks that can do as you know.
0: Yeah. And I do notice in, in the videos that involve the choreographer, when you, when you, um, dance with, uh, the children that they're, it's all mixed as far as like, they're like one, you, you see one student that seems like they're, they're nailing it. And another child who is looking yeah. at you for guidance. And that's, I, I love your response to that, that yeah, it it does feel real that they're learning technically, even though they have had a little prep, they, that they're still trying to you know, catch yeah. up in So
1: there's that, yeah. that fine line between, you know, having something that, that's aspirational up there that you want them to be able to really work to get it as good as that kid. But there's also the idea of I can do it as good as that guy and he's on TV. <laughs> you know, and so that's, <laughs> it, I, I mean, it's just my own personal philosophy. I always, I, I asked my, one of my sisters or something, I said, when, you got to tell me when I just look ridiculous doing this. And she just quickly said, too late. So, so I, you know, because so, uh, you know, uh, I think it is kind of funny. What seeing what now when I stand back and look at it, I kind of go, "What this old man up there jumping around with these little kids?" It's kind of goopy, but you know what? It's what well, I do. It's you know, it's the what deal. teachers like,
0: do. When, as instrumentalists or uh, or, or or trained vocalist in, in the university or whatever, when you get out into the real world, um, the ones who don't get who either um, become band directors. They have that, you know, the middle to high school to college years of being the band director or the choral director, but, but to go into elementary school music, I've always felt that, especially, uh, for, for men getting into it that, um, you kind of forgot how to, how to be a child and, 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 and you have this, um, this, um, probably this intimidation to like dance in front of them. And, but like, you're, you're like um, the prime example and prime um, um, gold that has helped us <laughs> to um, have that confidence, you know, to like, mm-hmm. to, to get in there and do it. And um, I'm sorry, I just went off tangent. Right well, there, thank you. Like, yeah, no, yeah. That,
1: I appreciate that. You know, it's yeah. um, a few years ago we had this, this, YouTube phenomenon thing that happened called double dream hands. I was going to get into that. <laughs> okay, well, um, you know, if you don't want me to talk about it now,
0: but I, 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 I we we can. Uh, I was going to ask about that if
1: that's if if you're cool with the double sure. dream, dream hands. You, you know, the thing about it is that Planet happened. Rock. I mean, <laughs> I don't know if you you don't need me to really explain what happened, but obviously it went viral and it was all on the internet and just kind of craziness that happened. And it was the first time for me that I had really looked at what I do because, you know, people comment on it and, you know, yes. they could comment on the YouTube and some of it was kind of funny. I mean, I they would say, you know, how I'm always I'm yelling at people like, you know, reach to the audience and somebody would say he thinks there's an audience <laughs> or, or I would say, you know, uh, you know, point over there and everybody, people would make fun of it. Mostly in a light way, but a lot of the comments, as you know, on YouTube, people feel like they're sitting in their cubicle because they can say whatever they want. So a lot of it was kind of unflattering to begin with. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that I stepped back and looked at it and go, wow, is that really what people think? It had never occurred to me once in my life that this was an odd thing to do never once until then and uh, because i know that as a teacher as you know working with any little kids you've got to do it 10 times bigger so that you get something out of them and it's like telling a story to a little child you become over animated because that's what they respond to and so you know then when you put it on a screen and you're this big and okay. you're over animated then it can look a little crazy but you know what A lot of music teachers came to my defense for one thing and said, wait a minute, you know what really is going on here? And um, this and and I came to the conclusion at some point that I just had to embrace it. You're right. This is what I do. Mm -hmm. And I know it's good for kids. And so I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to keep doing it because I I'm, I'm worried more about the kids than about some teenager sitting in his cubicle or frat boy or whatever it is sitting in their cubicle and, and writing nasty things to me. So yeah. I, I really got over that pretty quickly and then just kind of laughed at it all and, and enjoyed it and thought, Hey, if it's helping people, if it's helping teachers, if it's, if it's making them like you feel more comfortable getting up there and acting like a child, more power to it, spread well, it around. It,
0: it was just because when that popped up, I was like, Oh, John Jacobson, you know, because it, I, I know after, uh, the viral hit. I mean, you had an appearance on Ellen. There, there was like a commercial you were in where um, you were um, in one of those. You're in an arcade, but you're dancing on one of those whatever Dance <laughs> yeah. Revolution things. I was like, it's right. John Jacobson. He's really um, wow. He's because I mean, in the music education world, you have, you're you're already a celebrity, but reaching millions <laughs> because of uh, this viral hit, you know, I mean, um, I, I was going to ask, um, and again, um, and you touched on this beautifully, but I was going to dig a bit deeper into this, just being Asian. I've, uh, been bullied countless times in school. And I, I was moved by your response to your experience on America's Got Talent, where you remained positive and put the focus on helping children who are getting slushied or bullied mm-hmm. or, um, mm-hmm. making sure they have healthy eating habits and more exercise. I'm just, curious in your occupation of being John Jacobson. Um, how do you keep your positivity and cool in check, especially right now? It's, um, you know, the term being, you know, everyone's getting trolled around and all that stuff. But like, it's amazing that you've kept this huge positivity in with, you know, you know, with, with that whole experience.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, I spend my life around people like you samson mm-hmm. that 's the easiest way to keep your positivity and people that they just get it they get it for the right reasons you know yeah the america 's Got Talent thing was a humbling experience humiliating i had just had, I hadn't i hadn't I had never hardly watched the show i didn 't even really know what it was, and when they called yeah. me to go do it it was it was so misleading and but oh. you know i'm an adult i have a great support group and you know i didn't i I, didn't, I it's so far behind me but but my publisher was getting so many people saying why did you let john do that why did you why didn't you stop him and and the fact is they didn't have anything to say about it. I, that was totally on me. But they were getting so many complaints that they were the one who asked me to kind of do a response like that. And um, mm-hmm. and I do think that, you know, bullying has, has been a terrible, is an, an affliction on our society. And it's not just kids. But when when you go on a, those shows like that, after considering it for a while, I just thought, well the way they treat their contestants sometimes is nothing more than adult bullying. And that's just Mm -hmm. not acceptable. And sort of like, you know, John Lewis, you know, who just passed away said, you see something wrong, you got to say something about it, or you got to do something Mm -hmm. about it. And in my own tiny little way, I can say, no, you know, we would never let our fourth graders teach, treat each other like that or our seventh Mm -hmm. graders. So we're not going to sit here and let adults treat other adults like that. It's just adult bullying and it's not acceptable. And so it's my job as a teacher and as an artist to, say, to call it what it is. And so it's an opportunity. But how do you keep a positive attitude going? Uh, those, you know, it, it really is because of the people I hang with are wonderful, oh. wonderful people. It's what makes this pandemic a little bit difficult. This is not mm. fun teaching. This is this isn't why you went into teaching was to sit here and talk on a Zoom conference to a bunch of kids <laughs> or try to make a choir happen out of this or try to make a show choir or try to make yeah. a band or orchestra over Zoom. And, and then not even just music teachers, any subject trying to teach any subject this way. I, w- I went into teaching and, and like like being in schools because I want to be around the kids and the faculty and the teachers and other human beings. This stinks. Yeah. <laughs> now, we're going to do the best we can in this, Um, and we're going to do as many possible things. we're all You can just see everybody trying hard to help each other through this pandemic. And we will get through it. And we're going to, next May 1st in Washington, D.C., we have already scheduled a big America Sings Festival on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial. Mm-hmm. We're going to be standing there. If it's just me and a camera and we do it as Zoom, we'll do it that way. I'm hoping that by May 1st, we'll be able to gather people together and take a deep breath and sing together like we love to do. Oh, in the yes. meantime, mm-hmm. we Gonna make the best of this. Yes. And we're gonna do. I tell you, there are some good things that are coming out of this too. I mean, people learning how to do Zoom cocktail hours are more are more um rewarding than I would have thought. You know, <laughs> in fact, I got every Thursday afternoon. I have my friends Emily Crocker, Matt Huff, Roger Emerson, Rollo Dilworth, mm-hmm. Christy Carey Miller, myself, and Myra Murray, every every Thursday afternoon we get together on Zoom. And I think just I caught a up.
0: screenshot of that from uh, probably Rogers' Facebook, uh, probably because he's
1: on there all the time. And, so. and I'm just like, "Aw, <laughs> yeah." And you know, shit. a lot yeah. of it is yeah. just bolstering people. We don't even talk about music all that mm-hmm. much. We talk about our families and we share and about what's going on and and you know, And then sometimes we find we do. Of course, we talk about what's going on with you and what are you in your area? Because we're from Rollo's in Philadelphia and Emily's in Dallas and I'm in California and Max in, you know, Southern California. So we, it's a way of sharing what's going on in the world on that way too. And um, I think, you know, together, everybody's going to pull up. And and the other thing that I think is really kind of exciting about this time is it's a real opportunity to reset Mm. for all of us to just reset the way we do things. And Mm. that, that goes in music education, but it goes throughout our whole society we can reset our whole this whole business of Black Life Matters. That's an opportunity mm-hmm. to reset our whole mentality and, mm-hmm. and own our original sin and own up to it and, and and the whole thing about you know class disparity and income inequality as well as uh, you know the Electoral College. Okay, I'll get a little mm. political. We have an opportunity, <laughs> yeah. an opportunity to reset. <laughs> And that yeah. may not have happened. And I'm talking about big issues in big issues, mm-hmm. not just are we going to teach Orf or Kodai or are we going to teach mm-hmm. tt Tata or, you know, big issues. Yeah. Now, we can also do it in our own microcosm in music education, and we will probably never teach the same again. But I think we are truly reminded that um, this isn't what we went into this for. Mm-hmm. and get me back with kids as soon as we can healthily possibly do it and with my colleagues, and it'll be a brighter, happier world. So you've conducted these wonderfully educative interviews, um
0: on our way to awesome volume 18, number two, um, of music express as music express has been a staple in my lessons because of your interview with Alex Lackmore. um, huh. being, uh, an orchestrator myself, I was moved with this interview because it's a craft that not too many people are aware of <laughs> when I explained. Mm-hmm. So what, what do you do? I was like, yeah, I arrange an orchestrate Cause it, it takes, a, as you know, it takes a long time The yeah. I guess, uh, the Mac cups over the, the, uh, um, or the, um, uh, or the Roger Emerson's of the world, but like, uh, how fun was it to geek out with, uh, Alex? And, uh, did you have a blast with your focus on Broadway, uh, for volume 18? Cause I believe volume 18 was you going to different, uh, I know you went to Aladdin to go backstage mm-hmm. and, right. um, and costuming and, um,
1: um, and, but like, how, how was that experience? That, I can't even tell you how much fun it was. <laughs> <That> was. <laughs> it was It was so much fun. And first of all, Alex is one of the classiest, lovely people you will ever meet. And he'd let us come into his home and he was, you know, he's just so busy. He's so in demand and let us set up our cameras in his little studio. And that's so and cool. Man, and seeing his it, desk was, and... it was so cool. I'm <laughs> such a fan. And, when, and you know, what's really wonderful is once you have met somebody like that, you go back and listen to the orchestrations of say Dear Evan Hansen mm. or um, In the Heights or and listen to the orchestrations of Dear Evan Hansen. Oh yeah. They're just perfect in my view. I mean, every song is just, it's exactly the right feel for that song and what he did and the orchestrations and some of them make it, make mm-hmm. the song. And it was fun. So it was great doing that. And then most of the like the backstage Disney, I, these, some of these are my friends, you know, that do these things. So I was, we were able to, um, and, and Hal Leonard has a, a relationship with Disney as well. Okay. So they, we were able to go backstage and and uh, meet, you know, some of the actors and see what goes on behind so it. It was wonderful. I loved those um, series that we would do for Music Express, and every year we would try to come up with a new series, like like what you mentioned on the road to awesome. Um, and one of my favorites, of, I love the Walk With Me Talitha series that we did. And maybe my favorite of all time we, it was one of the early ones. We did a series called um, A Tree in Tappan Wood, and they made it into a children's book. And it's, it's one that I'm I did it with my friend Emily Crocker. Um, and it is one of all the projects of all my publications of anything. It might be the one I'm most proud of. Um, so anyway, it's, it, yeah, those were great to do. And I hope awesome. kids got something out of it. You know, I hope that kids and teachers who saw those interviews, you know, we did with we had some really great John Williams and, um, you know, and Paul Williams. And these are these are the giants in their field. And we were able to get them to talk to us as though they were talking to fifth graders, which was oh wow. Cool.
0: I've actually uh, collaborated with Paul Williams when he was in Virginia through this program called Live Art, which was uh, it focuses on children with of all abilities and um, he was a guest, and his uh, partner um, Chris Caswell. He and I nerded out, but like, yeah, that I got. Right. Is, is that and that's part of a Music Express uh, um, interview as well, correct? In yes. one of the volumes. Yes, or okay, you, you know. In, in
1: the nice thing about Music Express was that we were able to do things that you might not do in a regular publication. You know, mm-hmm. you might not be able to even the songs that we were able to write some of them. You couldn't you wouldn't necessarily publish that as an individual choral mm-hmm. or even put it into a musical for something. But we could write a song about making music together mm-hmm. and for and you could write it at just the right age level that it would fit. Or you could add, you know, you could write it so that it's with boomwhackers or with with ORF instruments or something. And you could write it and you could put that in a magazine in an easier way then you could put that into a you know another kind of traditional publication. So that that was another wonderful uh aspect I think of Music Express which I loved. Excellent. And uh I hope I wanted to share something
0: with you real quick. It's your your work of course, but like um reason why uh this um really caught my attention uh, I guess volume 18 is this whole interactive um setting you have right here. And then with if you go to, uh, I guess you, the teacher has their lesson plan right there. And then, um, you know, the slideshow for your, I mean, this is amazing. And, but not only do you, does, I mean, it came up with everything, which is, but like, I was so geeking out over this feature right here and where, you, you know, you could go, you have your own little mixer, and when you play it, I don't know. This might be loud. I'm not quite sure from your end. Yeah, that's loud. And so you have the option of of um, you know, having part one or part two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Love that. Or just. Making it, I, I mean, when I saw that feature, I freaked out because being a male singer, I, I'm always embarrassed when I uh, uh, have to go up in falsetto because I I always of joke that it's like drowning cats, trying to drown yeah. cats, <laughs> yeah. and to have that reinforcement Model, of yeah. having uh, that there, I mean, I just thought that was genius right there. And uh, but um, I, I wanted to ask you, um, so I currently sell. Uh, my ukulele and jazz ensemble arrangements through SheetMusicPlus.com, and you know when you do copyrighted material for me, I know I just receive ten percent per sale. But um, I assume since Hal Leonard takes care of the legality of the copyrighted compositions that um, you've um, that you've arranged, um, are the numbers from the sales profitable from your end? And how does it differ? I mean, I'm sure it does because it's millions of people. But How does it differ? in compensation with having the songs featured in music express or versus a
1: separate choral arrangement, um, that you've produced for middle and high school choir that broke up just a little bit. Could you just say it one more time? You're asking about how how the royalties, is that what you're asking about
0: Yeah. Royalties. And, um, I, uh, so I said, uh, the numbers from the sales, um, are they profitable from your end since i mean mm-hmm. because it's from i know for me i it's ten percent per sale, but I know you sell you've sold millions in your end well, but that's like, that's um, actually
1: I'll, that's actually pretty standard a ten percent mm-hmm. you know for a composer um actually, and when you write collaborations, you often split that so it's five percent you know with everything things but you know some things if you sell a lot t- to be honest with you samson you you have to in this industry you have to be pretty prolific to make a living at it. You don't very, make very much on any mm. one project. Now, it, the, especially original stuff, original music. Now, like the lucky guy who got to, I don't know, was it Mac or somebody who got to do the Hamilton, uh, not giving away my shot, maybe it was Roger. Roger Emerson, I think, did the arrangement of that for high school. Okay. Now uh-huh. that... It's going to sell a lot and yeah. frankly that's one of the easy in some ways for them that's easy it's kind mm-hmm. of the work's been done they arrange it they make it kid you know friendly for that age group that's where they can kind of make up um, when they have another one that maybe is an original that they might have a heart for but sells you know one hundredth as many as not you know not giving away my shot mm-hmm. so uh, for me you had to kind of crank it out and so and you know to make a living at it so my but I have, for the last uh, 35 years or something, I, my con- I have a contract with Hal Leonard, and my contract works in such a way that I promise to write a certain amount of material every year. Mm. And for the last many, many years, it's been like four musicals a year, and then all the stuff for Music Express, and then make a bunch of videos and do a bunch of recordings. And also, then do a handful of octavos for older kids or middle school, high school kind of thing. And then, if there's some project that I want to do, like if I want to do something in the sacred world, I can do that. If I want, you know, I can at least propose it. That's the way it has been for me for about 35 years. So, so you sort of have a guarantee that you're going to that I'm not writing this, and it may never see the light of day. Most Mm -hmm. of the time, when I'm working on something, I'm I'm pretty sure it's going to get published. And it's fulfilling the, the, my contract with, with my publishing company. Things are changing. <laughs> and, um, you know, we don't know exactly what the future holds um, along those lines for me. Uh, it's there. Uh, once Music Express stopped, Hal Leonard is doing, has started a brand new um program called essential Essential elements Elements, music class uh, yeah essential elements music class they call it they had such great success with their essential elements strings essential mm -hmm. elements band it's kind of the gold standard now for that Mm -hmm. and so they're sort of following in those footsteps to um put together this uh online digital uh textbook if you will or curriculum
0: yeah
1: and um initially they're, you know, they're going to use a lot of legacy materials. I mean, I've been since, you know, I've probably written, I think, 115 musicals for them. And also all the songs from Music Express and all the song collections, you know, collections of <laughs> partner songs or patriotic songs, things like that. They're using a lot of that material in this new curriculum. And then, yes, adding to it. And I think they had no idea how complicated that was going to be to really get it transferred from here to there and make it really user-friendly and updated and ready for teachers to use. They're getting there now. And so because they were so swamped with getting there, getting all that stuff, there just wasn't a lot of um, opportunity to do new content Mm. until they get the platform and everything really working and John Milansic, your buddy, is has a big role in that as well. And now they're getting close, I think. And it's actually really good timing because of this whole pandemic thing. They're getting close to having a lot of this really be, I think there's 900 and some songs on there. And now they're writing lesson plans. And, now they, and then they're going to probably want new content. And they have assured me that there's a place for me in that. And I hope it's sooner than well, later. that's beautiful. <laughs> and- yeah, we'll that, see. that the we'll see.
0: the post that you released, I think it was last year. It was quite. I think it was May 2019. Where, um, I mean, I was. Uh, of course, I mean, your fans were probably appalled, but like you took in such stride that you uh, that I believe that because they have that there is of course there's still a place for you. Um, that uh, I mean, I, I it it was it was kind of shattering to me when I saw that. Cause I'm just like, this is kind of like a staple for us right here with music express. I mean, but, um, yeah. I, I
1: think that they would admit mm-hmm. now that they probably cut the cord a little too soon mm. and they should have at least done music express another year or two until mm-hmm. they were able to really get this new thing ready. Yeah. And I think they would admit that, um, I could have been a, bigger part of the process. Mm -hmm. And, um, and these are my friends. These aren't, these are people that I've worked with forever, but it's big, it's big corporate too. And sometimes communication is not always the best. And I think, you know, I don't, I do not feel for one instant that they purposefully were slighting me. At all, Mm -hmm. I just think they were moving ahead, and they kind of forgot that. (laughs) Hello, remember John? (laughs) And and so I, I think you know who I am. (laughs) (laughs) That makes it makes you a little nervous. Well, and I'll be honest with you. I mean, I try to see the side of it that says, um, "Hey, they don't want. Maybe they think they need new, young." People new right. young but I, I don't necessarily buy that in that i think yes you do need new young but you also you need people who have years and years of experience behind them that can mm-hmm. yeah the roles can change you know but i why would you throw away um the john jacobson brand i mean why would you throw away all that mm-hmm. you've you've invested so much in for so long and um you know why, uh, and, and that's where it gets, that's where you get a little insecure. You're like, well, maybe it didn't, yeah. maybe that brand didn't have the value that you hoped it had. And when you get left in the dust, that even, that just sort of makes you, you're, you know, we artists, we have a lot of self-doubt, yeah. but um, mm-hmm. nobody has to worry about me. I got lots of things I want to do, lots of things I'm going to do. I'm, it's yeah. still, I'm still going to be involved with kids and teachers and music. And I think it's going to, there will be a role for me at some level with Hal Leonard. But it might be that, you know, I, I'll do what I do and I'll be more like you, freelance. Just do it on, do it on my own. <laughs> I am going to go out next summer and do workshops with teachers and kids. I'm not sitting home for another summer and missing out on getting with my people. So mm-hmm. government, get your act together because yeah. we're coming to sing and dance next summer. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: Um, so, well, I guess this leads to like, uh, what do you see as the biggest challenge for elementary music teachers as schools
1: reopen post COVID? Well, when they, I think we have to work really, really hard to, to keep reminding people about how important this part of school is for kids. Um, you know, this isn't something, cause it would be very easy for school boards or, or administration or even, parents who don't get it to look at some of the newscasts and say, Oh, singing together in groups is too dangerous or playing instruments is too dangerous. Mm. You, we got to figure this out yeah. because this, this is the thing that, that saves kids, some kids lives, you know, the this the career, you know, I'm sorry, we can learn math maybe this way, but you can't learn about humanity and about music and the arts and about making the world beautiful without getting together and singing and making music. And it's, I tell you, it's something that America has always valued. Americans have always valued it in our public schools and in our private schools. And we need to continue to do that because, frankly, in what's your heritage, Samson? Are you uh, Vietnamese and Chinese. Vietnamese and Chinese. Well, I'll just tell you, I taught some lessons in China a couple of years ago. My brother was the superintendent of schools at the Shanghai American School. Oh, wow. And um, so I went there and, just, and and I read that there are more honor students in China than there are students in America. If we're gonna compete in a global economy and in this global world, if we're gonna compete, we have to be able to do something different. Then we're not gonna win by sheer numbers alone, but we can compete if we are more creative, if we are more artistic, if we have, if we have w- different uh, mentality about critical thinking, if we are able to analyze situations in a different way and come up with creative solutions. And that's what you learn in music class, better than anywhere else, because you remember it and you communicate it better than any place else. And you need to, we need to make sure that people understand we're gonna fall behind, not if we leave out math and science, oh, <laughs> well, we might, <laughs> but we'll, we'll really fall behind if we leave off music and the arts. This is the place that will keep us competitive. And we need to, we as music teachers, gotta make sure we pound that message forward through the pandemic so that when we get back from it, they remember us and they see the value of what we bring to, to the schools. Because yeah, here, this is cool. kind of my, my latest thing is that I, I just think, you know, you protect what you love. You love what you know. And you know what you've been taught. And so We need to teach the value of music and we need to teach kids the value of music in their lives. We need to teach them to, so that they love it so that they protect it. Oh man, I'm, you're, you're making me cry, man. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: you, you, you get to do it. I'm old. Well, <laughs> you to, uh, well, you know, um, this is off tangent. And again, if you don't want to touch on this, right. that's fine. But like, uh, cause I did some, you know, was d- doing some digging some research when I was prepping for this interview. Uh, thinking about running for congress again i mean uh <laughs> well <laughs> I, there you I go did see the, i did see the 2008 yeah, um, yeah. um video and i thought man i would absolutely vote for this guy <laughs> like, that, that, but this was a time when you were still i believe still working as um yeah. for how it all and then you decided mm-hmm. to run for uh, yeah
1: care to share that experience sure i it was kind of funny. It was, um, I live in a really rural district here in Northern mm-hmm. California. I mean, it's, yeah. it's really far out, spread out people, um, very rural. And um, we had a congressman uh, who just wasn't very effective for years and years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And so, but unfortunately, we are, it's a pretty lopsided county or district. But some people came to me and said, you know, John, with you, we don't have a even to run. You know, would you just run so that we could have some debates, so we could have some conversations, so we could have somebody out there that would, you know, lead the conversation um, in a different direction than the guy who's in there right now? And I'm like, I don't know anything about running for Congress. But they all, you know, these were local people who said, we will help you do this. And I thought, well, you know, sometimes you got to just step up. And I will tell you, hey, we didn't have a chance in the world of winning. <laughs> but, but. And, and so I jumped into the race and I, was the, I ran as a Democrat and I was the only Democrat running. And about a week after I got into the race and signed the papers, two other guys got into the race as Democrats. So all of a sudden I had to run in the primary. I thought I was going to be able to, you know, jump right to the, uh, right to the general election. Yeah. So I had to run in the yeah. primary. But I would tell you, especially one guy. And so anyway, I lost in the primary. It was 39,000 people um, voted and all of us got 13,000 votes. I think Jeff Morris, the guy who beat me, got 130 votes more than me. And you know what? Huh. He was a great guy. His dad nice. was a music teacher. His, um, yeah, I think it was his dad or his uncle was a music teacher. And he was a great guy. We became great friends on the road. We were doing debates together, you know, against each other. But we'd like, you wear this tie today and I'll wear that <laughs> tie tomorrow. We <laughs> no, stayed friends painful. afterwards. Of course, yeah. he lost the general election. To the same, the guy who had been in Congress for 30 years. And so, you know, I tell you, it was a great experience to do. I really enjoyed, it, it was both the, both the most humbling and the most exhilarating thing I've ever done. Humbling in that, you know, we're not used to going out there and t- telling people how great we are, you know, and how we would be the one that could, you know, change it. But you kind of had to go out and say You know, I could do this for you. I could do that. And on the other way, humbling and that you had to stand at farmer's markets and, you know, hand out leaflets and things that that, you know, all of that. That's humbling. But the exciting thing was that people wanted you to be good. And most people really were interested in they most people would have like one thing they really cared about, like healthcare or, you know, ag something or forest or whatever water issues up here. And they really wanted to teach you about it. And I enjoyed learning about it. So it was all in all a good experience but I'm not doing it again. <laughs> 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 once, was, once was enough. I'd like to help some other people get elected, maybe. Do
0: you want to touch anything about J-Jump or America Sings at all? Well, uh,
1: there are two passionate projects of mine. Um, J-Jump is a fitness program for kids that I did. I teamed up with the same guys, and you won't remember this, but 20 years ago or so there was a thing called Taibo. It was oh, like yeah. exercising through table. The same team that yep. did that came to me and asked if we could do something for little kids. And so I thought, well, that'll be fun. And they, you know, so we did these. Um, and I got all my buddies, Mac and Roger and everybody to write songs with me. And so um, we wrote these songs and did. And it's, a, it's called Jump to the Music. And we have a website. One thing about it is that I actually own it. It's not a Hal Leonard project. And so it's something I can continue to sell even if I'm not involved with Hal Leonard. Um, so the people can go to my website and and get it if they want to. They, it's now downloadable. So it's like 30 songs, and it's about it's one, a third of them are on cardio, a third of them are on um, strength, and a third of them are on flexibility. And basically, they're just fun songs. And during this COVID, you could kind of get up and do them with your kids at home and stuff like that. So it was a real fun project to do. And we sort of... They used to be just DVDs, but during this crisis, we decided to make them available digitally. And we used to sell them for like twenty bucks for each one, and now twenty dollars for all of it. You know, it's just like get it out there, and hopefully, people can use it. So that's jump to the jump to dot com, and it's two Js. If anybody wants to go jump to the com, mm-hmm. then uh, and America Sings has been my passion since nineteen eighty seven. It's a I um, I just have always had a strong sense that you need to do service as part of your life. And I have always felt that too. that service shouldn't be some miserable experience, like you're really good at something, but your service project is you go do something you're no good at, you know, I mean, not that you shouldn't go to soup kitchens and work in soup kitchens or go mow old people's lawns or whatever it is. But I think I want kids to learn that, you know, figure out your favorite thing to do, do that and figure out how part of it can be a service project, so for me, it was singing and dancing, so i thought okay i 'll have a non competitive choral festival for kids that is i 'll just be a volunteer i 'm not getting paid for it I never and i won 't and i 'll just have a big festival and hopefully make it a have a service element to it, so kids do service projects, but also they make music together and sing and dance together. We started in one thousand nine hundred and eighty nine really was our first big festival, and the first year we had four hundred and thirty five schools and fifteen thousand kids and we have continued to do it every year since then, so more than 30 years. And we're going now, it's all volunteers, and so you can only do so much. We have, a, a, but if anybody wants to, americasings.org is our website. We had to cancel this year for the first time. Uh, we were supposed to be in Nashville this spring, but we had to cancel. But we really are hopeful of this May 1st of next year in Washington, D.C. And so, keep checking our website. We're also oh, co- contemplating doing some regional ones, some maybe one in Texas, one in California, one in Philadelphia, you know, maybe some smaller regional ones where more I would go to the kids as opposed to them having to travel uh, during, particularly during this time. So we're mm-hmm. just in the like planning stages of that. But we have, we have reserved the Lincoln Memorial for next year on, June, on May 1st. So AmericaSings.org. Yeah. That's
0: amazing. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> Those are my questions. How's your uh, uh, QuickTime recording? Is it uh, still uh, rolling along? It
1: uh, it is going. I be, Let's see. Now, I only did the audio recording, right? That yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. Good luck with your grad no, school. You. you know. Oh yeah, it's 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 funny because it's uh, you know
0: I'm thirty seven right now, and it's taken me this long to get back into getting. Well, so what's your
1: what is your degree going to be in? Um, uh, music, well, music education, um,
0: yeah. my, yeah, my undergrad was actually jazz performance and I was trying to do the gigging life for a while. And, um, um, you know, I have to thank, you know, my parents and my wife for, um, just keeping, just pushing me to, to, um, continue teaching. Cause originally it was supposed to be like, uh, the Roger Emerson life of going out to LA and, um, orchestrating music and, um and arranging for big bands and all that. And, and then that, that was, that was kind of like the thing. And that's why I, I really focus in on all those arrangements that you guys put out. Cause I was like, wow, these are good musicians right here <laughs> and <laughs> yeah. who play on these tracks. But, uh, and really yeah.
1: sort of the, the, to me, the, the, the real star orchestrator is John Higgins. When you listen to some of those little kids musicals that we did, oh. I mean, he, with a budget of hardly anything, <laughs> you know, he could really make it, he really is something, or I think as an orchestrator, he's just top notch. But well, um, you never know, you know yeah. where where what'll lead. I mean, you got a long life ahead of you. So yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, mm. um, yeah, everything's all good right now. And uh, well, I, I have to thank you uh, for this wonderful interview. Um, it's an honor to, um, I mean, to even you know see your face and and, and converse. Because I thought this was like a long shot a shot, and I really wish I could have made 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 it out to the um, uh, Virginia music educators association conference because i know you did a session out there and was uh but uh but anyway thank you so much for your thank uh, you samson it's been a real pleasure great talking with you and um, anytime my pleasure take care samson all right bye-bye my thanks to john jacobson for the interview of a lifetime please check out john's passion project j jump and america sings And of course, music educators can visit Hal Leonard to collect hundreds of songs and resources written by John and his close friends. Special thanks to Dr. Greenoggle, Dr. Goldie, and Dr. Austin for the challenges and journey during the past four years of my graduate studies in music education at Virginia Commonwealth University. And once again... A huge and heartfelt thanks to John Jacobson for the therapeutic conversation and behind-the-scenes process of his hard work and success. I'm Samson Trin. Thank you for listening to Music Ed.